home and say, Amanda says that you can do them, okay? That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I'm owning the fact that I was a difficult, difficult child, and I would not go back to that age because it was hard. So in high school, I was in 10th grade, and I took a finance class. And I walked in my first um, day, and there was this guy who was probably the same height as me, and he talked so fast. And he would like, his name was Mr. Lee, and he had like strawberry blonde hair, and I was like, who is this guy? And so I had upperclassmen in this class that I wanted to like me, so I started to make fun of Mr. Lee, okay? And I was like, he talks so fast, he must be on drugs, things like that, okay? But he had this thing about him, and he would come up with the craziest things. For example, he, every day before you left, he'd give you one question that you had to answer on your way out. And you're like, oh, great. And it were things like this, please, tell me how revenue, your mom's socks, and Cookie Monster have in common. And I'm like, this is stupid. So I tear it up, and I'm like, I'm not answering this. So the real truth was is that I did not understand, and so I was being disruptive. So one day I came home, and my mom says, do you know this teacher called Mr. Lee? Yeah. Well, he called me. And uh, Mr. Lee is not real pleased with your behavior in class. I'm going to pause this story and tell you how it ends at the end, okay? So last week, we were in Luke 20, 20 and we're going to need to go back there. So you need to find Luke 20, and you need to find verse 46. So last week, Jesus is in the temple. He's talking about all these people, and he goes on to say, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, and the best seats in the synagogue, and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses for a pretense have long, make long prayers. They will receive the great condemnation. As he's saying this, now we're into this week, it goes on. Remember how I told you sometimes they make headings and new chapters, and they just, I think they ruin it sometimes. So this story continues. So as he's talking about these people and these scribes, he looks up and it says, and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. As a widow during Jesus' time, life was super, super hard. She didn't have a husband. She didn't have a ways to make money. She was probably one of the poorest, widows were the poorest of the poor. They had no one to provide for them. It wasn't like today where you just go out and get a job. So this kind of giving that she gave, dropping these two coins in, would have taken trust. Why trust? because she would have to trust that she's going to put these two coins in and that God somehow is going to give her what she needs for her next meal or to feed her children. Jesus is not just looking at how much this group is giving versus this group. He's looking at her heart. He's not saying it's wrong to be wealthy, but it's what flows out of the rich person's heart. He's contrasting scribes who are wearing these long robes and are prestigious to a widow. 
over here, they think that they have it all figured out and they're the closest ones to God. And over here, by cultural standards, she's no one. But she gave out of her heart. So as he goes on, this had me reflecting on myself. Are our hearts and our behaviors aligned? Do our actions match our faith? The woman had faith to give her last two coins. The, the scribes and the rich people were just giving. They're like, eh, this is what I do. Look at my, just so you know, I'm giving. But she gave out of having nothing. And when we have what we need, do we trust God when giving or do we just give because we can? Do we give for appearance? Or do we give out of convenience or safety? It takes true sacrifice, is what Jesus is saying when you give. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking at our hearts. So Jesus goes on in verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And will, what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? And he said, See what you are not, that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars, do not be terrified, for these things have first taken place, but the end will be at once. So first of all, it's really ironic. The disciples are like, They've probably never been to the temple, some of them. So it's, mad, it's humongous. And they're like, have you seen this place? After Jesus was just talking about the outward appearance, they're like, have you seen this place? So I find that ironic. And then it had me reflecting, what is the most beautiful building you have ever seen? Think about it for a second. I had a really tough time with this because I can think of things like out in nature and beautiful places that are like, ah, oh, like they take your breath away. But I had a really hard time thinking of a building, like a structure that really was like awe-inspiring. And the place that I came up with was when I was in Barcelona, Spain. Is there a picture of that? Nope, not that one. It looks like this. Okay, so this um, in 11th grade, as a horrible teenager, I took a trip <laughs> to uh, Spain for my Spanish class. And we went and saw this, and it's the Sagrada Familia Spain. It is a basilica. And this place has been worked on for 100 years. They have been, as you, like you can see in the pictures, like the scaffolding, they literally started it in 1872, and they are still working on it today. And this article that I found said that they are hoping it's finished in 2026. So it's gigantic, but the cool thing about it when I was there is that there's these scenes. And so it's humongous, but there's like these beautiful like etched in scenes of like the Last Supper. It's inspiring that they have been building a building for over 100 years, and that was the most beautiful building that I had been to. But what you really want to see is 11th grade Amanda. That's what you really want to see. That has nothing to do with this. 
I'm on the right. See? Good old 90s. Yep. Look at those sunglasses. See? Get it out of your system. Okay. Back to Luke. Let me give you a little bit of history about the time or about this temple. So back in the Old Testament, people of Israel were traveling around in the wilderness and God told them to build this box called the tabernacle. And the box was where they went for, it was known to be Jesus's, not Jesus, God's presence, Yahweh's presence. And they carried this box wherever they went and that was to be known where God's presence was. So then Solomon, back in the Old Testament, builds this beautiful temple made out of gold that he got from all over the world. And then the Babylonians, the King Nebuchadnezzar, in 586 destroyed it and basically scattered the people and said, you're not going to worship Yahweh anymore. So in 538, they build another temple. And this temple is just as big. Okay, that's the picture I need, Nick. They say, okay, this is the Acropolis? Okay, Acropolis in Spain. The temple that we are talking about is two times bigger than this, and it was one-sixth of the entire city. My Bible notes say that one of the stones of the temple that we're talking about is still remaining, and it's 45 feet by 11 feet by 12 and weighs 570 pounds or tons. There were doors of gold, bronze, and pillars of marble. The place was massive. It was gigantic. And so they're standing there, and they're like, this place is really big and beautiful. And over here, Jesus is like, none of this matters, people, and we'll get there. And so they asked him, teacher, because Jesus says, this is going to be destroyed. This doesn't matter. And he, they say, when will this happen, and what are the signs? And in the true Jesus fashion, in verse 8, does he answer their question? No. He doesn't say when, but he warns them not to be led astray. He is, words are indicating that he, this place is going to be gone. That huge, beautiful temple, gone. Jesus, gone. Jesus is going to go be with the Father. We have this fascination as humans, like, when's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? Is there going to be an earthquake? Is there going to be a flood? Is Jesus going to come on a cloud? Are we going to all know? We have this fascination with knowing the end times. I think about the Left Behind series. I think about back when I was um, a teenager, there was this guy named Nostradamus. Have you heard of him? He would predict, oh, this is going to happen and it's going to be the end of times. Or when the Mayan calendar ended in 2012, was it 2012? Am I right about that? They were like, the world's going to end. We are fascinated with wanting to know what it will look like. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to know. So he goes on, verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines. And there will be terrors and great signs of heaven. But before all this will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered upon even by my parents and brothers and relatives. You will be hated by all of my, for my name's sake. 
but not a hair of your head will perish for your endurance will gain you lives. So after this, he says that a lot of bad things are going to happen. And then he goes on, I'm going to summarize 20 to 24, and he says the whole city, so the temple is in Jerusalem, the whole city is going to be wiped out. So not only will the temple fall, but the whole city, and he says don't go back. And so there's layers to this temple talk. Jesus talks about right now. He's talking about the actual physical building and the city being gone. But what he's also saying is that the temple of his body is going to be gone. And he has sent messengers. We talked about last week where he sent these messengers, like the guy at the vineyard, and your time is running out. So if Jesus is God and Jesus is the presence of God, he's going to die and he's going to go to sit at the right hand of the Father. And guess what? The temple does fall. It falls in 70. So he was correct. He said the temple's going to fall. And so when 70 happens and all these people back who used to hear Jesus and he says the temple falls and it falls, they're like, oh shoot, he was actually right. He's telling them And I think he's telling us that life is going to be hard and we can't be led astray. And some of you right now are like, duh, Captain Obvious, life is hard, Amanda. And I look at these phrases that he says. Jesus uses words like wars, famines, earthquakes, tears. He says they're going to be persecuted, we're going to be persecuted and put in prison. You will be hated for my name's sake. I don't know about you, but when I read those words, I think of pain and hardship, and I actually get fearful, and I have a little bit of anxiety. But the cool thing about Jesus is he's intertwined some warnings and promises together that we're going to look at. So in verse 13, he says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. To bear witness is to still talk about Jesus. So even in the hard times, we have to talk about him. We have to say, yes, I believe in him. And it says, settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to withstand, but by your endurance you will gain your life. So after Jesus is gone and the temple's gone, they're like, uh, how do we meet with God? We meet with God because Jesus dies and the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God lives in us. So when these hard times come, He is with us. He is helping us every step of the way so that we don't have to do it on our own. And then in verse 25 through 33, Jesus pulls a Mr. Lee. He talks about skies and seas and hard times. He's warning the very people who think they have it all together and are holy that their their time is coming. In our time, we will have to face God as well. It says in verse 27, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, and these things begin to take place. Straighten up and raise your heads because redemption is drawing near. He's going to come back. He promises us that, and we, during that time of judgment, we don't have to make these wonders and guesses, we have hope because he is guaranteeing us that Jesus is hope and we're going to be saved. We get to live with him forever. It's that idea of God's kingdom here, but not yet. What's your favorite sandwich? 
Mine is, it has to be perfectly layered. A piece of wheat bread that has um, brie with a piece of ham, not too much ham, and then there's more brie and then there's a sandwich and it's a hot brie and ham sandwich. And I feel like that's what Jesus is doing. He's like, warning, nice layer. And then he puts this nice layer of hope on top. And then he warns us again. And then he puts a nice layer. And in 34, he says, watch yourselves. Your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all the things that are happening, all the hard stuff, and stand before the Son of Man. So there is this piece of, okay, Jesus is leaving, but he is talking future. He's talking like we don't know when he's going to come back. And so there's hope now. There was hope for those people back in Jesus' day. There's hope for us now, and there's hope for us in the future. He's saying we need to prop up our physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental eyes because we're going to be tired from this world. And we do this by praying for strength to stay on our feet. Patience. Oh, jeepers. Patience is so hard. Life isn't going to be this exciting battle that we fight with adrenaline flowing and banners flying, but just a steady walk of prayer and hope and scripture and witness for Jesus. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And having a relationship with Jesus, the Spirit lives in us, and then we get to flow this patience and strength to the rest of the world and then live with him forever. So, Mr. Lee, hmm, Mr. Lee, I actually tried to find a picture of him for a long time because I was curious what he was still doing. Mr. Lee calls my mom, and I'm like, my mom's like, you can't be a pain anymore. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be a pain. So I did a really hard thing, and I went and told Mr. Lee, I apologized. I did. And I said, but I don't get it. What does Cookie Monster, my mom's socks, and deficit? That doesn't even make sense, Mr. Lee. What are you doing? And he goes, you're right. But what do, you, what do you know about that? I'm like, well, I know Cookie Monster eats cookies. And I know what a deficit is. And I mean, my mom sucks. That could mean anything. And he's like, put it together. Use your imagination and put it together. And so after that moment, I was like, wait a minute. I get to like just make things up. And he's like, as long as you have the truth of what the definition is, do it. I was like, this is sweet. So literally, I was like, oh yeah, I'd make up the craziest things. And it didn't matter as long as I said my finance like terms, I got it. So then Mr. Lee became my favorite teacher. And I took all his classes all the way through, like all of them. And I feel like Jesus is kind of doing that. He's saying things like, give out of sacrifice, looking at our hearts. It's going to be hard. God's spirit, his patience, having perseverance, his temple. 
I feel like he's pulling a Mr. Lee with all these random things together. And this is what I came to the conclusion that I think he's saying to us. He's saying, hold on to what you know about me and my promises. The rest doesn't really matter. But I know that tough times will happen for you. Watch and guard your heart from the details and chaos of the world. Keep grounded and focused on me. Through a relationship with me, my spirit will guide you and fight for you. You may not see me, but I am here. Pray to me and I will nourish your heart and soul. The details don't matter. Just trust me and when this earth ends and I come back, you will be with me forever in paradise. Let's pray.